All right. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read to you again verses 15 through 23, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, if you were with us last week, you know, we dealt with the first two aspects of Paul's prayer. He prayed that they would get to know that they would know God better. They also prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened to know the hope to which he had called them in the glorious inheritance in the saints. And we didn't have time where we left off to get into the third aspect of Paul's prayer. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The third thing that Paul prayed for them was that they would know the greatness of God's power for us who believe. And actually, as Paul put it, the immeasurable greatness of his power. So this is what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the power of God. And we're going to get into a lot of different aspects of the power of God. It's actually going to be a fun kind of a study. But I'm also going to tell you now, we're not going to cover all that we can know about the power of God for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have time. And two, Paul said it was immeasurable. So we're not, I'm sure any of us will ever be able to fully understand the power and the scope of God's, uh, of the realize the size and the scope of God's power. But Paul not only said it was immeasurable, he also prayed that our eyes and our hearts would be open so we would know his power. So don't just say, well, it's immeasurable. No, there's a lot of it that we can understand. And so we need to get into that because there's a lot of confusion as well when we, when we start talking about the power of God. And a lot of people start claiming things that aren't really in line with scriptures. Yet at the same time, many of us don't live in the power that's available to us. I want us to learn the balance that we're talking about tonight. So, but we'll start here. Look in this passage here. Uh, look about uh, verse, let's just say about verse 21. It says in the middle of that, far above all rule and authority and power, and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he, God, put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body and so on. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a bit. But I want to deal with the fact that everything's been placed underneath Jesus's feet. So I'm going to ask you a question. This is one of those times I want you to answer for me here. What does that mean when it says everything's been placed under Jesus's feet? He's in total, absolute control authority. Keep going. He's above it all. Is there anyone that has more power or authority than Jesus right now? No. no. Now, that's very important for us to understand because we're going to be getting into the fact that the Bible tells us everything's under his feet. Yet at the same time, we don't see everything under his control. Is it under his control or is it not? Even though we don't see it, we're going to get to all that kind of stuff tonight. But I want to just kind of lay the foundation for you scripturally. Go to Matthew 28 and look at verse 18. It's a very familiar passage. It's been used many times in many churches. Yet at the same time, we skip over this very, very first part of what Jesus says here in Matthew 28, verse 18. Matthew 
In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He then goes on and says, Go and preach the gospel and all and make disciples. But right now, just focus on verse 18. At that moment, this is after he's risen from the dead, he's accomplished his, his purposes on the cross, he's defeated Satan, and he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That's very, very important for us. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, verses 27 and 28. Paul is talking about this power, and it says in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 15, For God has put all things in subjection under His feet, meaning Jesus. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So what, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, look, don't get confused when I say everything's been put under Jesus' feet to make you all of a sudden think that God the Father is now under the feet of Jesus. It's kind of hard for God to put himself under himself because he's himself, you know. Now, for a time... Even though Jesus is just as much God as the Father and the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father, Jesus for a time humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. He limited himself while he took on flesh. But remember in the garden, he prayed, we see it in John 17, Father, restore to me the glory I had before the creation of the world. For a time he limited himself and lived in a body just like ours. And that's why after that point, after he's risen from the dead, he could tell his disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Oh, by the way, he already had it before. He humbled himself and did not, well, how does Philippians 2 say it? Even though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant. So for a time, Jesus lived in subjection to the Father. Now, though, everything's been placed under his feet. Jesus is, everything's under his control. But Paul says, please, for all you loophole people, don't think that that means God the Father's underneath his authority. Jesus is God, and the Father and Jesus are one, and all authority has been given to God. But don't mistake the fact that the authority has been given to Jesus as well. Because actually for eternity, it's going to be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All for eternity as well. He'll manifest himself in three parts because he's always existed in three parts. Can anybody give me a biblical proof to the fact that God has always existed in three parts? In the beginning, God, but go ahead, they talked about giving again a God, said how the Spirit hovered over the waters. And then in chapter one, God said, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created male and female. Why did God say us? Are there more than one gods? No, the Bible's very clear. There's only one God. Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. Go ahead, quote it for us. Because I'm thinking, I know verse 11. Where, where, are you, where are you coming from in Isaiah 48? He's talking about... Uh... Cyrus, and then he says, I haven't told, I've told you from the beginning, I haven't kept it a secret. Now the Lord God and his, the Lord God and his spirit send me. Yes, very good. And he's speaking as... The, that, again, he's ex explaining that there's more than one part to him. Right. So that's the thing I want you to understand. Jesus has always existed. 
Years ago when I was in Chicago, an uh, 88-year-old man came to me one Sunday or one day after a service, and uh, he said, you keep talking like Jesus has always been around. Jesus didn't show up until he was born by Mary. And here was a longtime church member. And I had the chance to sit down with him and show him scripturally that Jesus was God and had always existed. He then for a time took on human form and then returned to his original state, if you will. And that man actually came to faith in Christ because he had never understood that Jesus was God. He just thought he was a good man and we kind of follow his teachings. And so it was, a, it was a neat day to kind of help him understand that. Go with me though to Hebrews chapter 2 though, verses 5 through 9. The Hebrew writer actually brings something else out here. It's going to be a launching point for us to where we're going to go next, dealing with the power of God. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verses 5 through 9. Again, remember the Hebrew writer at the beginning is explaining how Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. And in doing so, he makes this statement in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. I love that. Isn't that neat how the Hebrew writer quotes by the Old Testament and didn't worry about whether or not he knew exactly where it is? So those of you who don't have a brain like mine, don't beat yourself up. It's written somewhere. I know the scripture. Just make sure, just make sure you're quoting something that's actually in the Bible. Okay, a lot of people quote things that aren't in the Bible. It is written somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. It's obvious here that that passage that he's quoting from, but in the book of Psalms, by the way, it's not talking about us. It's actually talking about Jesus. It was a prophecy about Jesus. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, to Jesus, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, a couple things I wanna bring out real quick. Yes, for a time, if you remember back in the garden, God gave us authority. Adam and Eve were given dominion. They were given authority to rule and reign over the earth, and they were, to, they were to be in charge on the earth. But unfortunately, because of sin, they lost that power. And who was the ruler of this world for a time? The prince of the power of the air. Satan, for a time, has been given that authority. But as you're about to see in a little bit, even though he has some measure of control, God still controls how much control Satan has. Therefore, Satan's not fully in control. He has some control, limited by God, yet God controls his control. Job, Job and we're going we're gonna to talk about that in just a little bit, but you're right, exactly. But look at what he says here. I don't want you to miss this, though. Look at again what he says uh, in the verse, the end of verse 8, right after that quote. He says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, meaning Jesus, he left nothing outside his control. At present, though, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. All right. If we were to see everything in subjection to him, there would be no more struggle, right? right? If he was in full control of everything, there would, I'm sorry? He exerted. That's a good way to put it, because he is in full control. That's a better way to put it. If he exerted full control, we'd be seeing how things are going to be for eternity. So this is where I want to kind of take a little detour 
and warn you about some people in Christendom who try to start claiming things for God by trying to claim some of God's authority. And there's, there's people in Christendom that will say, because of who we are in Christ and because everything is under Jesus' feet, we can claim authority over this situation or we can try to bind Satan. And I, to be honest with you, just recently was at a National Day of Prayer service and a few things started to happen that grieved me. Because as this was an interdenominational service that I went to, and a lot of wonderful things were happening there as they prayed for different aspects, the government and for schools and for families and for churches. It was wonderful in that way. Every now and then, though, certain pastors would get up and start declaring things. One man said, since today is the National Day of Prayer, I declare that tomorrow is the National Day of Answered Prayer. And in my spirit, I know he was trying to be a man of faith. In my spirit, I started to sense something's not quite right here because any doctrine that doesn't let God say no puts us in power and not him. And if you look through the scripture, remember, as I've been trying to teach you, when you're trying to understand what the scripture is teaching, you've got to make sure it matches with the whole of the book. If what you believe matches with the whole of the book, you've got to correct doctrine. I think about, I immediately started thinking about the situation where David was begging God for the life of that child that he and Bathsheba had made. And God said no and the child died. And then afterwards he said, I didn't know if he would perhaps respond to my request. But now he said no. And David was okay with the fact that God had said no. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we know God's able to rescue us from this fire, but we don't know if he will or not. And all the way through the scripture, you'll see. Well, let me, let me take you there and show you something very interesting. Put a bookmark here in Hebrews and go with me to Ezekiel chapter 14. God just began to really impress upon me this section of scripture. And so I left the prayer service for a little while, went out in the foyer of this church and just sat and spent some time reading and talking to the Lord. Because as much as I would love to see our nation turn around, I can't promise you that it will if we just believe it enough. At the same time, what did it take Jesus? What did Jesus have to go through in order for us to be made right with him? It's, it cost Jesus quite a bit. And see, a lot of us, when we pray, God, would you please turn our nation around? We kind of pray from an attitude of God, just fix it. Are we really willing to let him do it? If it means he gets to do it however he chooses and we might suffer in that process, that's what Jesus had to go through for us. We see the book of Habakkuk where Habakkuk cries out and says, God, I don't think you're paying attention. The righteous are suffering, the wicked are prospering, and I don't think you're paying attention. God says, I am, and I'm about to do something. And oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians and they're going to take you guys captive. <laughs> Habakkuk's response was, whoa, wait a minute. I just said the righteous were suffering, the wicked were prospering, and you're going to use a more wicked nation than us to come, and they're going to prosper, and we're going to suffer more. Yet you're God, and I'm not, and I'll wait. But here, Habakkuk said, God, I need you to fix this problem in our nation. I want you to turn our nation around. God says, I'm going to, but I'm going to use outside nation to put them in subjection. What if God's answer to our prayer to fix America is that he chooses to bring destruction in order to bring us to our knees? Do, do, are we really praying that kind of prayer? Are we also praying those kind of prayers that says, God, you have to do it the way I want you to do it? The way the Jews wanted it, the way the Jews wanted it done or the way we want it done. 
We want God to fix our nation, but we don't want to have to suffer in the process. And so here they were starting to declare, we're, we're overcomers through Jesus Christ, and we take authority over the enemy, and we declare this and we declare that. And God began to speak to my heart, and he said, Jim, who's God here? And then he took me to this passage. Look closely at what it says in Ezekiel 14, verse, 4, uh, verse 12. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it, and break its supply of bread, and send famine upon it, and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and if they ravage it, and it be made desolate so that no one may pass through it because of the beasts. Even if these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the land would be desolate. Or if I bring sword upon that land and set a, let's say, a, let a sword pass through the land, and I cut off from it man and beast, though these three men were in it, and I, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they alone would be delivered. And then he goes on and keeps saying it over and over if I send pestilence. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, look, if I've decided that I'm going to bring judgments on a land, it doesn't matter who's praying. Or who's in it. Or who's in it. I will spare them. He says very clearly, because of their righteousness. And of course, any righteousness we have is given by God. But they would be spared. But they would not spare anyone else. No one else would be spared because they prayed. I want you to understand, all authority has been given to Jesus, and everything is under His control, and yes, everything is right now under His control, yet He's not fully exerting all of that control at the present time. If He were, we would see it. But He's allowing for His purposes things to seem out of control. Have you ever thought about the fact that the whole time Jesus was walking through the streets of Jerusalem as he was carrying his cross and people were mocking him and he'd been beaten and they were spitting on him and laughing at him. He was controlling everything right to the minute. If you do a little study of the Passover and when the lamb was to be sacrificed and all these types of things, and then the scripture shows you at what moment he died, what moment he gave up his spirit, literally it was to the minute. When everything seemed out of control and the disciples were saying, ah, and running for their lives, Jesus was in the middle of all that, even though he's under everybody else's somewhat control, and he was still in control because the Father was in control. So I want you to understand as we deal with this power of God and everything being subject to God and everything under the feet of Jesus, keep in mind that God, for his reasons, has not yet fully exerted all of his authority in the sense of taking full control and having everything go the way he would have it go. He will one day, and the Bible shows us it's coming soon. But until then, he has for a time said, even though I am in full control, I'm not exerting all of that control. Therefore, we have to be careful of any doctrine that says, because of Jesus, we can exert control. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, please don't hear me wrong. I think there are things that we can claim right now that God has already promised. If God has given you a promise in his word, you can take that to the bank. You can't take that too far, though, and start claiming things that he's not promised. We can be like David and we can beg him and we can cry out to him. And if he says yes, perhaps he will. But perhaps he won't. And your theology has to be one that lets God say no if he chooses to. 
Am I saying don't pray? Oh, no, 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 I'm saying pray. Am I saying beg? Yes, beg. Seek God. Be ready for the fact that if you ask him to fix our nation, he gets to choose how he fixes it and what method he chooses. And two, keep in mind, if he says it's too late, it's too late. Thank God for what he's done in our life. And how many of us know what God's going to do? I don't. That doesn't mean we throw up our hands and say, well, I got no say. No, no, no. He asks us to pray and ask on his behalf and our behalf and the nation's behalf. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, all these things. Yet, don't move into a realm that says we have authority in Jesus Christ and therefore we declare. Mm, only declare what he's already said. Don't add to that. All right. You with me so far? All right. Now. You had talked about this here, about the fact that Job is an example of God being in control, yet he lets Satan have some control, and he, but he limits how far Satan can go. That's very important for where we're going to go next in a little bit here. But I want you to go with me to, to John chapter 19. You know, the more I, I just recently God's been having really just meditate on the book of Job and different aspects of it. But I, th I thank God for the fact the book of Job's in there. Uh, have you ever thought about what life would be like if we didn't have that picture of the discussion between Satan and God? If you, you imagine how hard it would be for us as Christians at times to try to understand what was going on, why God was allowing certain things, why certain things were happening, if we didn't know that really what's going on behind all of that is this battle in the spiritual realm between Satan and God and how God's using us for his purposes. But look at Job, John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. This is when Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate said to him, you will, uh, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Look how calmly Jesus responds and says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. What did Jesus just say there? I mean, Pilate's, you know, saying, I got all this power and authority. Jesus said what? Yeah, you only have the authority that's been given you. And actually, you're right now exercising the authority that's been given to you by God. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. The ones who turned me over to you are the ones who have done the greater sin. They had a choice. Oh, and Pilate had a choice, too. But Jesus was just talking about his authority that had been given. The authority that you have has been given by God. Now, guess what? That means that as much as we may like it or not like it, God controls who wins our elections. It does. Go with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 2, and I can show you. Daniel, chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Now, sometimes God lets the election ballot go a certain way as if to say, OK, that's what you want. He has his reasons. Why? What's that? He gives us hanging chads and everything. Yep. Daniel, he controls even hanging chads. Daniel chapter two, verses 20 and 21. This is after Daniel has just had God reveal Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Daniel says, blessed be the name of God, verse 20 of chapter 2, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. See, Nebuchadnezzar had just been told by God in this vision what was going to happen to him next. And Daniel says, wow, God's in control of who's in power. And he's also in control of times. He can change times and seasons. And How many people have said, man, it's unseasonably cool for May in Florida. I've heard so many people say that over the last couple of days. It doesn't seem like Florida. And we keep getting amazed when things just don't work like we normally think. Guess what? There is no mother nature, folks. I hate to tell you, you it's Father God. There's no mother nature. God's in control of all that stuff. I'm not going to take the time to show you, but there's actually a passage in the Bible that says God controls where every lightning bolt hits. You doubt me? Google it. You'll find it. So when it rains on the golf course, why don't you just go in? Why don't you just keep playing? Well, I, I, if it rains, I keep playing. As long as it's lightning. <laughs> if it lightnings, I then I, 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 don't, I go in. Go ahead. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I'm struggling with what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. No. If he wanted to control, he would intervene. Well, and that's what but I'm getting at. Well, he part of his free will. exactly, and part of his control is not intervening at times. Is what I'm getting that's at. Right. right, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that he made the bombers fly into planes. I'm not saying that kind of control, but he could have stopped them. He could have stopped it, but generally he doesn't. Exactly. That's what exactly what we're getting at, Jim. Why then? Why? Then, if everything's under his feet, if everything's under his power, why are we not seeing it? The Hebrew writer, go back to Hebrews chapter 2. And because he gives us free will, he gives us, uh, he sent his son as a savior. Mm -hmm. And uh, if the people of this world reject it, he's not going to intervene. Right. He's going to let them reject it. Well, and exactly. He's going to let the evil reign. And that is and that's true. But you have to also keep in mind, our free will is not so free that he doesn't already know how it's all going to play out. And there are those who take the free will aspect to the fact that God doesn't know. He's already written the end of the book. He, so he knows every thought before it even makes our tongue. Psalm 139, verse four. So there's this balance here of understanding that God, even though he could, does not exert his full authority. He does not. Is he still in control? Yes. Nothing happens without his knowledge, without his approval. You will be held accountable. That's what I'm saying. This whole balance, and I'm glad you brought this out. This whole balance between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man has been such a conundrum for most Christians. And all of you heard me say over and over, and I'll repeat it to you again. Any doctrine that removes, removes God's complete sovereignty is a bad doctrine. Any doctrine that removes man's free will and responsibility for his actions is a bad doctrine. They're both there. But I've had people say to me, Jim, if God knows what tie I'm going to wear tomorrow, then I really don't have a choice. And I say, yes, you do. Well, no, if God, I really, no, it's, no, it's not predetermined in that sense. The foreknowledge of God and the free will of man, they're not, in our brains, they're hard for us to put it together, but God understands it. And so when we talk about the control of God, I want you to understand there is nothing more powerful, nothing that can exert any power over God. He's in full control. Yet, he's not exercising that full control right now. And for a time, he has allowed man to make choices and decisions, but in an ironic way, even though man makes choices and decisions, God still controls who comes into power and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes it's, like I said, when the nation of Israel said, we want a king, he says, okay, not my first choice. 
I would rather you had followed me. You want a king like the other nations? I'll give you a king. But who picked the king? He did. Who picked the next king? He did. Who picked the next king? He did. And in his sovereign, almighty love, mm -hmm. I mean, and mercy and grace, as much as Babylon at that time was very evil and Nebuchadnezzar was feared, right? He praises the Lord. Well, he, well, he recognizes that. He, I mean, he used some of the captives to go into there and to begin to use them as, as witnesses Absolutely. to the true God, even in the midst of that. I thank God for I the servant girl. Shine if, it's, if there's not darkness there. Exactly. And that's what we're called to do today more than ever before is to let our light shine in a world mm -hmm. that's very dark. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and perhaps we have to go away. Um, and destroyed because we've always, for example, you know, it, this is the time for the Jews to come and they are coming from all over. That's part of God's sovereign plan as well. Mm -hmm. And if we hang on so much that that delays, you know, and, and it's his timing, his thing. So it's like maybe as a nation, we really do have to be destroyed or go off on and focus on ourselves or do what have you so that the the Holy Spirit pulls the nation of Israel back together. Again, how he's going to do it, we don't fully yet know. Right. I, I'm just going to fess up to you. Whenever I saw in the news this past week that all of a sudden Israel started bombing in, in Syria. Damascus. No, my brain was, is this way. And again, this is Jim. Don't take this as this with the response every Christian is supposed to have. My response was, let's just, it, the Bible says it's going to happen one day. <laughs> let's just get going. My, my, my flesh wants it to happen now. You know, there's going to be a battle there one day. There's going to be a war. There's going to be, it's going to all come to a head. My flesh says, let's get going. That doesn't mean that that's God's timing. And I, and I guess that's kind of that same balance. I have to balance my desires with God's desires. My Seeking him for what I want him to do with understanding that he's God. And if he chooses that the rapture doesn't happen for 20, 30, 50, 100 more years, that's I know we don't like that idea, but that's God. And he gets to. And that's what I want you to understand is when we talk about everything being under his control, don't move into this realm of now that I'm in Christ, I have all this authority as well. And I get to call the shots without realizing that our flesh starts to get into everything even though we try to spiritualize it and make it look religious. And I just caution you to be real careful. If Jesus is not exercising his full authority, you can't start claiming your full authority to exercise it. All right? Do you know what he, what he said to the disciples? I have given you authority to trample over snakes and mm -hmm. scorpions, and nothing by any means shall harm you. Mm -hmm. Well, here's, here's the thing that we have to deal with. What happened to all of those disciples? So it's obvious that he wasn't saying you'll never die and you won't suffer persecution. I mean, it's obvious that that can't be what he's talking about. And so the passage that you're talking about, snakes and scorpions, can you tell me where it is? Well, see, here's the thing. Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. There's a section of that. I don't know if you all know this or not. Go there real quick. We're, we're, we're chasing a rabbit, but I think it's one we can catch and it tastes good. So let's, we'll chase it for a minute. Go to Mark chapter 16. 
we look in your Bibles now at the end of verse 8 and the beginning of verse 9. Many of your Bibles will have a note either at the bottom or some, mine has it right there, and it'll say some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16, verses 9 to 20. Are you seeing what I'm showing you there? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like I've shared with you before, there are two main groups of manuscripts that we have. They, we don't have the original copies that were written by Paul or whoever the author was of these books of the Bible. They were all hand copied. And they did their best to make sure that they copied them word for word. Over time, there came to be two groups that matched each other. One pile, all were the same. Another pile was the same. But the pile that was closer to the originals didn't have this last part of Mark 16. The part that had been copied after this pile, a lot of them did. That became a real wrestling match with the people who were trying to decide what was Scripture and what wasn't. And that's why a lot of our Bibles that copy or translate from this pile of manuscripts will be missing a verse here and there. And you'll hear some of the King James only people say, well, their Bible, they leave words, verses out of the Bible. No, they copied from a group of manuscripts that didn't have those verses. And chances are real good that the verses that are in the King James translation, which translated from this pile, those verses might have been added now, here's where I'm getting at. You go to Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. And as it says, most of these verses aren't in the earliest manuscripts. Sometimes they're called the best manuscripts. Jesus appears to Mary, appears to the twelve, then the, the two disciples, I mean, and then the Great Commission. And look at the, the end where it says this. And go to verse uh, 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands and they will drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. And they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So Lord Jesus, after he had spoken, was taken up into heaven and so on. Now, there is a group of folks that you probably have heard about. And hopefully you've never been in one of those churches where they actually take what it says here and says, well, I can pick up a snake and it won't bite me and it won't kill me if it does. And guess what? They're getting bit and they're dying. I caution you to build your doctrine on this section of Scripture that, first of all, we're not even really sure belongs. I, 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 when I teach on the book of Mark, I teach on this because you know what? There's a chance that it does. But because of so much evidence as to the fact that maybe it shouldn't even be there, you definitely, and if you then study, you'll realize all this is is that someone compiled a real quick summary of all that was going to happen in the book of Acts. Was there a time that Paul picked up a snake and it bit him and it didn't kill him? Yeah. We don't know about people drinking deadly poison, but maybe there was a verbal testimony of something that happened and different things. And someone has compiled these different things, and, but you can't just take it as, that means I can, I'll trample on a snake and all this kind of, you see what I'm saying? So we have to be kind of careful about that in that sense first. And then going back to your question, Jesus is talking about the fact that now we are in him. We have authority that's his. And sometimes it will be exerted. And if we're going to be like God and he's going to be the one exerting the authority through us, if he's chosen not to exert it, he let himself be killed. Did he have the power? But he told, he told Peter when Peter started swinging the sword in the, in the garden, he said, put your sword away. If I wanted to, I could call and angels would come. But he didn't. So sometimes for God's purposes, Sometimes it's to let us just make our own choice. God doesn't exert that authority. And that's why we have to be careful. And there's been a move in Christendom over the last few years to really move into this dominion theology. 
and we're overcomers and you can just claim it. And they start focusing on this life. Don't get sucked into that. Don't get sucked into that. Can you get back to Daniel with the, uh, Hananiah, Azrael, and... Uh, Azariah. Azariah. Mm-hmm. You know, they, like they said, my God is able, but we don't know if he's going to do it. Exactly. Yep. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 35 to the end of the chapter, it talks about those who received their dead back to life. Those who actually conquered foreign armies, how they escaped the edge of the sword. And then it goes right into immediately the very next verse. Others were tortured. Others were killed by the sword. And it says these were all commended through their faith. So you can't just all of a sudden make belief and faith in God and his power mean that whatever I want will happen now. God still gets to be God. Yet... I don't want us to miss something as well. Well, let's go to my next section of my notes, and this will take us right to there. I wrote down here, we will see more about this power that God has available or that he uses on our behalf uh, as we continue in our study of Ephesians. But what can we take home from this knowledge in this section today? If he just said that everything's under Jesus' feet and everything's subjected to him, there's a couple things I want you to understand. 1 John 4, 4, don't go there, write it down, I'll quote it for you. You all know it, probably if I get it started, it says, greater is he who is in you than who? All right, so don't fear Satan in the sense of Satan has all this power over me. No, he has no power unless it were given to him. And oh, by the way, sometimes you let him have that power. Sometimes you let him, when you... Choose to give in to the temptation. The Bible says in the book of uh, Romans chapter 6, we choose whom we're going to serve. Before we were saved, we were slaves to sin. Didn't matter, we were going to sin. Now that we've been born again through Jesus and now Jesus lives within us, we have our new creation. And the power that gave Jesus the ability, because his own spirit, his own power to say no to the flesh, we, now lives within us. And we choose now on a daily basis whether we're going to say yes to God or yes to Satan. And as the scripture says, you choose who you're going to serve. So you actually say yes to Satan and give him authority in your life. God may give him permission to tempt you because he can't even tempt you unless God gives him permission. But just because God's given him permission to tempt you doesn't mean you have to give him permission to win. And you get to choose whether or not you're going to listen to him. All right. So keep in mind, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, meaning Satan. And not only this, I don't want you to miss out on this either. When the world and the enemy come after you, they can do only what they're allowed to do, like we've been talking about. And when they do, Jesus sees it as an attack against him. That's an interesting thing. I don't want you to miss this. Remember, Satan, now that you're a child of God, cannot do anything in your life without permission from God first. We've already taught you that many times in the book of Job. We see it in Luke 22, where Jesus says Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. Satan, now that you're a child of God, cannot touch you. Without, it can't even tempt you without God's permission. Okay, I'm, right now, I'm just talking about this fact that everything's under Jesus' feet. And how we can, what, what, what do we know about everything being under His feet? What can we take home today that we know from Scripture? One, one that is within us, who everything's under His authority, is greater than the one who's in the world. Secondly, when Satan comes after you, he only can do so with God's permission. But here's the second part of what I want you to hear. When he does come after you, though, Jesus takes it as an attack against him. Go with me to Acts chapter 9, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Acts chapter 9, look at one, verses 1 through 5. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? He doesn't say the church. He says me. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Catch that. If we understand the whole of Scripture, Paul wouldn't have been allowed to even go after these Christians unless God had given permission. And God did for his purposes. Yet when Paul goes after the Christians, Jesus says, why are you coming after me? Jesus takes it personally. He doesn't sit back and say, let's see how they're going to handle that. He actually goes into the battle with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you, but such is common to man. God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. And with the temptation, he'll provide a way to escape. Folks, don't think that you're in this battle on your own. The one who is greater than the one who is in the world lives within you. And he takes it personally when the enemy comes after, after you. But again, you still have a choice. Because he will not exert his authority in your life unless you yield to him. This is getting to where we're going to go here. And I hope we don't run out of time tonight in order to get there. So let's just keep that in mind. Go back in your minds now to Matthew 28, where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Does anybody remember at the very end of that section? We've gotten so focused on going to all the world and make disciples, baptize the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember how the end of verse 20 is? I want you to put verse 18 and verse 20 together. After it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I, and I command you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to command, every, obey everything I've commanded you, make, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's the next part? And they are teaching them to obey, and it says, and lo, I am what? I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Don't miss that. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and I am with you Always. Folks, I don't know what you're going through. I can guarantee you if you're breathing, you're going through stuff. The Bible says it's going to happen every single day. Each day has trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day's got enough trouble. Did you catch that? Every day has trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Yeah. Take heart. The one who has all authority and the one who's with us and will never leave us is there. And so we need to, in these times, say, Lord, you have a plan. And you have a purpose. And if you want, I, I'm begging you now, you could exert this authority. If there be any way for this not to happen as Jesus prayed, I take the cup from me. Yet, not my will but yours. So folks, you want to see the power of God. You'll either see it experienced in Him fixing your situation or giving you the grace in the midst of the situation. Don't think that God's power is only exerted in fixing it. God's power may be exerted in giving you the peace in the midst of it. He knows what you need. And that power, and what did Paul say? I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know the power that's available to us through Jesus Christ. His immeasurable power. It's the Holy Spirit in us. So, I have to ask this question now. Why then do we not see this power exerted in the church? Yeah, very good. There's three reasons. We're going to hit them real fast. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. 
Very good. There's three things that I want you to see from this book of Ephesians. Let's go back to Ephesians 1. The first thing is this. All right. It says that his power. See, we can get so focused on God's universal power and authority that we'll miss something that Paul says in verses 22 and 23. He says he put all things under his feet and gave him, meaning Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right. There's a specific area that God desires to exhibit his power and authority right now. It's the church. Jesus is the head. That's the controlling part, by the way, of the body. But not only that, he also, through his spirit, lives in and desires to control each part of the body. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, in, in Christ all the deity lives in bodily form, and we have been given fullness in Christ. All right? But how come we don't see the filling or the control of Jesus and his power and, and through the church very much? There's three things I want to show you from Ephesians. One was just brought up because Paul's prayer hasn't fully been answered in our lives yet. Remember, Paul prayed that our eyes would be open, the eyes of our hearts would be open to see this controlling power for the church. Too many Christians today are trying to live out the Christian life in their own strength, in the flesh. They don't know what it means to walk in the Spirit. They don't know what it means to live through the Spirit. They don't know what it means to let Christ live His life through them. Too many Christians today know that they needed God's grace for salvation, but they've never understood the fact that He gives more grace and that you need His grace, His power to do everything that He asks you to do. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. We can quote it left and right, but very few of us actually live the Christian life with Him. And we try our best. I'm trying to be patient. How many of us have said, oh, don't pray for patience? But guess what? The Bible says that's an evidence of the Spirit. It doesn't mean you even have to pray for patience. Just have a relationship with Christ and live, live His life through you. A fruit of the patience will be manifest. But we thought that we had to pray for patience and then hopefully we would get more patient. We've not been taught. So part of the reason why we're not seeing this power in the church is one, Paul's prayer hasn't been fully answered yet in the sense that we haven't had our eyes opened the eyes of our hearts open to the power that's available. But there's a second reason, too. Go to chapter 3 of Ephesians and look at verses 14 through 21. Paul gets even more specific now about this power. In chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, Paul goes on and says to these same people, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you, listen, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, listen closely, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All right? Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generation, all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go back to Ephesians 1 and look at the end of verse 23, and I'll show you something in, in this section we just read. How did he describe um, Christ and his body? The fullness of him who fills all in all. All right. Then he says here in Ephesians 3, my prayer is that you would be strengthened by God's power in your inner being through His Spirit. How does that happen? When we 
come to understand the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of God's love for us. Many of us think we'll only get God's power when we're good. How many of you ever thought to yourself, oh, I'd really love to ask God for this. I'd really love to have God give me grace and give me an answer to my prayer or him to exert his power in my life on my behalf. But I haven't been good enough. And we have not fully understood. And that's why Paul's praying for these Christians. Look, when you were his enemy, when you were powerless, he died for you. You couldn't get any worse. And he died for you and he showed you his love. What makes you think you're going to be good enough now to get his love? Pride. Pride. And so Paul's second part of his prayer, first part was, my prayer is that eyes of your heart will be open to the fact that you even understand there is a power of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead that is available now for you because you're in the church. Secondly, I'm going to pray more specifically that you would be strengthened in your inner being through his spirit within you, that through knowing the height, the width, the depth and the breadth of God's love for you, that you would then begin to be filled with all the fullness of God. It's already there, but you're not experiencing it. Is it in you? Yes. Are you living it all out? No. Whenever you see the term filled with the Spirit or fullness, just think of the word control. It's a really good way to help you biblically interpret the filling of the Spirit. If, if, if I were to ask you, is, have, you, have you already got all of God's spirit? The answer is yes. The question is, does he have all of you? Is he in control? So when you're filled with the spirit, it means you're under the control of the spirit. That's why Paul can be full of the spirit. And then in chapter 15, get in a fleshly fight with Barnabas. <laughs> you know, it wasn't, oh, he, he lost the filling. No, Jesus is still in him and he had just as much spirit as he ever had. He just didn't let it ha have control during that time. The filling is the control. All right. So we're still trying to live the Christian life in our flesh, like I said. And on top of that, we have never really learned to understand the width, the height, the depth, the breadth of God's love for us. And when that begins to sink in, when we really understand how he feels toward us and what's been manifested through the cross and what's available to us and how he's forever. Man, if he chased you down when you were a sinner. Isn't it sad that Satan now is convinced us that we have to be good enough for God to give us any more cookies? If he chased you down when, he was, when you were a sinner and poured out his love for you, how does Paul put it in Romans chapter 5 there? He says, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through his life? Now that we're in Christ and there's no condemnation, folks, begin to receive the love of God. And when you do, you'll then begin to receive the fullness that is already there and his power will begin to be experienced in your life when you stop thinking, I have to earn it. Receive the fact that he loves you. Receive the fact that he loves you. There's a, fourth, a third thing, though, as to why we're not really fully seeing this power. Go to Ephesians 4, look at verses 11 through 16. <clears throat> a very familiar passage, but I want you to listen to what it says. He, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Listen, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There you see that picture again, those exact same words. So that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up 
in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Folks, don't feel beat up tonight that you're not fully understanding this power of God. Paul said, listen, I'm now, after I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, awesome. Now I'm praying for the next step for you. I want you to have your eyes open, eyes your hearts open to what power is available that's now there in you in the fullness of Christ. Secondly, I, he goes into chapter three and says, I'm also praying that you'll be strengthened in your inner being, being rooted and established in love, that you would understand the height, the width, the depth of the love of God, and then you will receive the fullness of the measure of Christ. You'll be able to experience it. And then he goes on and says, oh, and by the way, this is a process, and he's given you pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets and evangelists to equip you for the work of the ministry so that you, as you're using the gifts God's given you and you're interacting with the body and you're building each other up, that's when you even more get to experience the fullness of Christ. If you just sit around and says, oh, I just want to feel the fullness of Christ, but you don't ever use your gifts in the body, you will never get to the fullness of Christ because a part of you experiencing the fullness of Christ is using the gifts that he's given you and the spirit of God wanting to work through you in the specific manner in which he is designed to work through you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I wish I could explain to you the feeling that I get when I teach the Word of God and when I preach the Word of God. I'm, I, I'm not kidding you. I could do it 24 hours a day and I don't get tired. It's just, it's such a joy. It's, 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 but it's the gift of God that He's given me and it's so much fun. I want that for you as well. But don't go try to be a preacher. Go be what it is that God wants you to be. If it is a preacher, start fanning into flame the gift that God's given you. But let me tell you, those of you that have once or twice or maybe more used what God has given you in gifting, exercised your spiritual gifts, you know what I'm talking about because there's a joy, there's, a, there's an exuberance, and it's something else going, I couldn't do what you do. Rita, in the way that she ministers to people, I couldn't do what Rita does, but I'm not supposed to because God hasn't equipped me to do that, nor gifted me to do it. Yet we in the church have hurt ourselves because we've expected everybody to do an equal part. Everybody's supposed to be helping out here. Everybody else supposed to be. Oh, you're a deacon and you weren't even at this such and so. We have automatically assumed that everybody's supposed to be doing the same thing. That's not what the Bible teaches. And that's why I named this ministry Just a Preacher. I pastored for 20 years and it was a part of what God did to teach me and to shape me and to mold me for his purposes. But it never fit. Some of you in this room said, no, Jim, you are a great pastor. Well, you're very nice. But I didn't exhibit the fullness of God's gifting in that whole role because I don't have a pastor heart. I don't. I love people, but not too much. <laughs> I I'm able to go to a church and just use the gifts that God's given me, walk into a place and they want to hear. And then next week, I'm just as excited to see the next people. Folks, find out what it is that God's gifted you to do and exercise those gifts because you want to experience the fullness of this power of Christ. Listen, first begin by understanding that, first of all, there is a power available. Most Christians are trying to live the Christian life in their own strength. Secondly, Paul prayed the more specific prayer. Now I'm going to pray that you would understand the fullness of his love, because then you'll really start to receive his strengthening through his power, through his spirit within you. And then move into using the gifts God's given you. 
And when you do, that's when you will go through this process into the fullness. Don't let anybody tell you, let me give you a magic prayer. We're not going to have a thing at the end of the Bible study tonight where anybody wants to come forward and receive this fullness. Don't get sucked into that. The Bible teaches this is a process, that this is a journey that God's going to take you through. And Paul says, I'm praying for you awesome Christians because you have faith in the Lord and love for each other. Great beginning, but there's more. And I'm saying to you all the same thing. There's more. And I don't expect you to have it tomorrow. But I'm praying the same thing Paul's praying, that you would know it's there, that you would then understand his love for you so you could really receive it. And thirdly, that you start using whatever gift God's given you, whether it's a five, a two, or a one, don't even worry about it. Just work where he's gifted you to work. And it doesn't mean that if the nominating committee calls you that that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. And then if you'll see in each of these places that same term, the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Christ was in all three of those passages. I'm going to read to you real quickly, and we're going to close with this. I'm going to read to you three passages of Scripture. If you want to write them down, you can look at them later. The first one is Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And this will help you understand. This will sum up what I've just said. Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all, listen, his energy that he powerfully works within me. You hear what Paul said? I'm doing what he's called me to do, but I ain't doing it in my own effort, my own strength. I'm doing it in his power. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace... Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be long glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever it is God's asked you to do, don't do it to the best of your ability. Do it in the strength that God provides. How often have we been told, do everything to the best of your ability? That's not what the Bible teaches, folks. You don't want to hear me preaching best of my ability. You want to hear what God does through me. Same way, some of you have been blessed by God to give and support ministry. And for you, it's a joy. It's part of how God's wired you. Do it with the strength that he provides. Some of you are shepherds. Some of you love to work with people one-on-one. -on -one. Can I know you're, you, that's been, you thrive. You want to get one-on-one -on -one with a guy in a boat. <laughs> he liked that until I went swimming in my white underwear one time. But that's another story for another time. I'm not real comfortable that way. Every one of us, understand, find out where it is that you love to minister and use the gift God's, serve people, but do it in God's strength. And the last passage is Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members or parts, and the members or parts do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. 
Let us use them. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. Sorry, contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So folks, as you go out of here tonight, my prayer is you'd understand that there is a power of God, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead and that lives, in, lives inside each one of us. And it will be manifest first as we first realize it's there. We have to begin looking for it, expecting it to happen, not doing it on our own. Secondly, we would receive the fullness of his love. And that's going to be a journey for all of us. It still is for me to really understand how much God loves me. And I don't have to earn it and just receive it. And when I do, his power begins to be manifest as I actually live in peace and joy and actually receive the goodness of his love. It's, it's, it's just an amazing thing that happens. And at the same time, Get using the gifts God's given you wherever it is he's told you to do it and do it in his strength. And I guarantee you, you will begin to experience the power of God that is available. Oh, there's more to it. And we'll find out more about that down the road in our study of Ephesians. But for tonight, let me wrap us up. Father, again, thank you for this chance to study your word. And uh, I would love to take two more, three more, five more hours to just keep going. And I thank you for the faces in this room and their attentiveness and their, their excitement and their hunger to hear. But at the same time, Lord, I thank you for the growth that I've been able to see happen over the years as we've been able to bless to spend time together. And Lord, I thank you for the fact that it's not up to us to figure out how this is all gonna play out, but you're gonna show us. Your word says very clearly that you're the one who will make clear. And even Paul, whom you had planned before he was even born that he'd be a preacher to the Gentiles, even though Paul was doing the exact opposite and trying to kill those Gentiles and kill Christians. You got him on the path that he wanted him on. Oh, you even told him that it's hard for him to kick against the pricks or against the goads and that if he fought your plan for him, it would be a struggle. But he surrendered to your power and he began to experience your power and your love and your grace. He who had been one who had been killing Christians was able to talk to people about the love of God and how patient and merciful and forgiving he is. And Lord, my prayer is that people would begin to see your power in our lives as well. And Lord, if you choose to heal our nation in the way in which we ask, we'll thank you. But if you choose to do it another way, you're God and we're not. And so we individually yield ourselves to your plan. We keep asking because you tell us to, but we also understand that you're God and we're not. And we thank you for that fact. And we rest in that. And we look forward to seeing what you do in each of our situations that we're dealing with personally. We pray this in your name. Amen.